Hey everybody, Jason Ellis here, co-host of High and Dry the Podcast. This is not an episode of High and Dry the Podcast. This is something completely different to help promote my new book, Still Awesome. This is audio recordings from the first book where I tell Tully about my life and then Tully writes it down in the book. It makes it far more interesting and more understandable. Enjoy. Welcome to a special limited run podcast series. Is it? Yes. Jason and I have collaborated on a new autobiography called Still Awesome, The Trials and Tribulations of an Egotistical Maniac. Available for pre-sale now at jasonellisbook.com. I remember that. Still Awesome is the follow-up to the New York Times bestseller, I'm Awesome, one man's triumphant quest to become the sweetest dude ever. I was there for that, too. To get you up to speed on where Jason's story picks up in Still Awesome, we present an exclusive look back at the never-before-heard interviews that went into making I'm Awesome. Yeah. Enjoy, and don't forget to pre-order your copy of Still Awesome at jasonellisbook.com. It's debatable, but you can get the book. So let's start the first time you came to the States. Tell me everything. 17. Got off the plane. Uh, the greatest day of would my you, life. Would you have flown places before that? Um, yeah, I've caught, yeah, I've been in a plane. Oh. Not much. Maybe one or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy flight, but yeah... Uh, I remember getting out in the airport and the door opening and seeing all the American cars and American people because they all look different and look weird. And How's that? You just all look like you're from TV. I just, you know, you look American. You landed in LAX. LAX. <clears throat> and then, uh, like, just a feeling of excitement and just so happy that I'd finally made it to the land of, uh, of skateboarding, you know, the skateboard world where Tony Hawk lives. And then we, uh, where did we go first? We went to this ramp, the H ramp, and it was the first mini ramp with a spine and hips. It was a mini ramp that had, you know, a mini ramp back to back, so you could go over that into that one, and then one off to the side, so you could jump off into that one, another one over there. It was just America already showing this thing where there was a mini ramp that had just come out in Australia. This had several mini ramps attached to each other in a fucking course of mini ramps, and I'm like, Holy shit. And I remember uh, being there with Gary Valentine skating, just amped out of my fucking face to skate this thing. And then uh, Jinx showed up. And Jinx is like not even a fucking good pro. He was like a shit pro that was like, a, I can't, like when I look, man, what a career. He had like 10 years being a pro skateboarder and he wasn't very good at anything. And he showed up and I remember going, holy shit. You mean Jinx? Like how crazy that Jinx just shows up to this thing and. And skates. And, and you just get, knew these guys from skate videos? Yeah. Magazines and shit. Yeah, so you know, I skated with him, and then that's uh, that's when we... I think I stayed at Lance's for a couple of days and learned all those tricks, and then we went to a contest. Anything about like the, the, the lifestyle at, at Lance's house? Like, what kind of place did he have? What was... What was um, well, Lance had a ramp in his backyard. Yeah. And he was married with a kid, and I didn't know anybody who was a skateboarder married with a kid who was actually organized and not a loser, so that was trippy. But the biggest thing to me was the Schroders. They were the uh, the Schroder family. I showed up to the contest, and it was a mini ramp contest next to the vert ramp. Big mini ramp with, like, extensions and shit. Once again, a thing that I'd never seen before. I'm just like, fucking hell, I can't wait to ride this. And uh, Nathan Schroeder fucking, or maybe it was Matthew, because they're two twins. Nathan and Matthew were twins, and they were a little bit bigger than me. They looked like He-Man. Same haircut. Uh, didn't go to the gym ever, just one of the genetically fucking a massive dude. And uh, they were skating the mini ramp halfway through the contest. Uh, 
he fell off in his ride, and this is back when falling off in a mini ramp ride was a big deal. Everyone was trying to do good. He went up the rail of the mini ramp, up onto the vert ramp, up onto the rail of the vert ramp, and jumped off the vert ramp over into the mini ramp and missed the transition and just landed in the flat. And I saw the flat break, and then he and, and like he slammed, and then he picked his board up and tried to skate it, and the trucks had snapped. And the wheels had hit the deck, and the fence that I was behind, the fence started bending, like like bending over. And I was like, what the fuck? And I look over, and it's Ben Schroeder watching his brother do that, and, you know I mean, raging, you know what I mean? Because that was just the thing. Like, you know, we've been drinking or whatever, and what he did right there was uh, provoked like a riot of... of happiness you know what i mean like he was like f- so angry that he was smashing the fence over to like storm out onto the fucking ramp and tackle him because of the 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 war brain that he just got into to do that like he fucking jumped like 25 feet onto the fucking flat ground i don't even you know what i mean like just in a fit of like i'm you know what i mean i'm fucking an animal on this ramp and i was like holy these people are fucking crazy like and then i re- i didn't realize at the time that the craziest people in skateboarding was the Schroeder family by far. And then I slept under the ramp that night. And then the next contest that happened, because it was a two-day contest, I remember Dave Duncan announcing my name as Jason Elise. Because no one knew I me. Mean, he was like, coming up next is Jason Elise. Me and Gary Valentine used to make a joke about it for like two years. Jason Elise on the ramp. And and then walking back, because we ran out of money, we weren't staying at a hotel. We had like a little bit of cash to stay in like a 45 bucker or whatever. And I remember going to the donut store and seeing a donut store and saying, a store that only has donuts. I was on my way back to the donut store with Gary, and Ben Schroeder came by in his fucking white Bronco, which was a brand new American car to me, so he was obviously rich, and said, hey, what are you guys up to? And fucking, you can come hang out with us. And we went to a party, and then we stayed at uh, Schroeder's parents' house. They have a massive house with tons of kids and a sister that has kids, and uh, the dad's a massive dude that worked for NASA and the wife was, the mum's bigger than me and everyone's bigger than me and I was just this little person. They had a massive fridge and massive door handles and a massive door and staircase. Everything about the fucking, the Schroeder family was gigantic and I felt like a little person that, you know what I mean, like Tiger, my hands didn't hold soda correctly. Like they were just giant people and they were just, you know, me and Ben just became friends, tighter and tighter and we were, uh, and, and then he, Gary started to bum him out with the strategic thing, because Ben was really anti-strategic planning thing. He really rubbed off on me in a bad way. You know, he didn't mean it, but... Gary. No, Schroeder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we, we, I became a drinker and a, and a rager and a, and a you know, and, I, and the punk rock thing became, you know what I mean? Because I was accidentally crazy, you know? I just love skateboarding and I wanted to push myself... So I didn't care what happened to me, and he could relate to that, and sort of took me under his wing, and I started to try and be like a mini Ben Schroeder, because that was the guy I looked up to the most now. It it had changed from Chris Miller to Ben Schroeder, so I was just trying to be a mini Miller for a while there, living at his house and and just living like him. He was the first uh, grown man to ever say that he loved me. We were smoking weed out of a fucking Budweiser can in his car up on the top of the mountains in Visalia. And he was like, I love you, man. And I, was, I remember pretending that he, I didn't hear it because I thought he was gay or something. I was like, well, you know what I mean? Like, okay, let's keep smoking. Pretend that didn't happen. And then later on, just realizing that we do love each other and he doesn't have to try and bone me. <laughs> he was in a crazy car crash 
and he should have died. Fucking fell asleep in the back of a truck and they had a crush on, a crash on a highway and he was in a coma and lost the people his nose and his smell and fucking ruined him. And that was kind of the end of his his career. But we always stayed friends, but later on, me being a competitor and it was sort of less... I, I think he became less... You know what I mean? I became more serious about being a skateboarder and more into like uh, trying to have some money and hanging out with Colin McKay's and shit like that and that became a sellout to him I think from try- you know, trying to make a career out of skateboarding was sort of like a, a f- you know I mean a pussy thing to do but we're still friends but I can tell when we see each other I'm a little bit of a disappointment to him I wanted to ask you you had said that when you were like uh, in school you don't really remember having friends but then as soon as you start talking about skateboarding it's like well this guy's a really good friend is that, that guy's like yeah. was skateboarding the first thing you had yeah. friends in? Yeah, instantly. Right. Really good friends, too. So that really is, in a lot of ways, like skating becomes your life, but skateboarding becomes your world. Yeah. Because you're not no, related to your I've family. I've said that before. Yeah, yeah. Tony Hawk, to me, is way bigger than Elvis. Mm-hmm. Like, at one point, seeing Tony Hawk in person was way bigger than seeing Elvis, and Elvis was dead. I still would have been tripping way harder on Tony Hawk being in front of me. When would you have met Tony? First time I ever met Tony, Tony came to Snake Pit, the skate shop. And was in the skate shop uh, looking at stuff because Gregor at the Snake Pit had hired, you know, I mean, had, you know, the hardcore had paid for the Bones Brigade to show up to Australia. Australia. Yeah. So I'm in Australia at the skate shop because I'm sponsored by Snake Pit. Yeah, I'm in there and I know they're, I know they're coming. You know what I mean? So I'm in there waiting to see if they're there. There's uh, Mike McGill, who I thought was a fucking piece of shit. He's worst style ever, so I didn't care, but still impressed that he was there. Lance Mountain, Steve Caballero, and Tony Hawk, and I remember them just walking around the store looking at clothes and skateboards and stuff, and I remember the disgust I had for the other three people in the skate shop that didn't know that that's who they were, and they were, and they were pretending to be skateboarders, holding skateboards. And I remember thinking, you fucking pussies for not knowing who that fucking dude is standing right next to you and just the feeling of you know i mean just the the awestruck just couldn't believe that these people were there it was such a big deal to me nothing's ever been a bigger deal to me than than those people you know i mean back then i just looked at them like they were fucking gods you are listening to selections from the behind-the-scenes making-of interviews for I'm Awesome, one man's triumphant quest to become the sweetest dude ever. It almost worked. Pre-order the follow-up, still awesome, at jasonellisbook.com. First time in America, like, parties and girls and stuff like that. First time what? First time in America, parties and girls and stuff like that. First time in America, parties and girls. First time in America. Well, the accent... And then after, it was only a couple of, for some reason, I, all I know is I went to America, I went to America, a little bit pasty with a little bit of some locks, and then I came back six, six inches taller with long blonde hair. Did a big growing spurt when I was in America, when I was in California the first time. And I got, you were here for six months the first yeah. time, yeah. And I got, and it was just, you know I mean? I slept with, I remember on Mission Beach, you know what I mean? We, it was like a bunch of girls, I mean, I slept with the first time I ever threesome, two Italian chicks that couldn't speak English, and they had hairy armpits, and I went back to their hotel room and explained to them that I wanted to bone them by doing the old finger-in-the-hole thing. That that's worked. how I got it across. I was like, me, you, and and that's how I remember being in a Cadillac, boning a chick in the back, lying down the back sideways while the chick straddles me while the mum is driving the Cadillac with Ben Schroeder in the passenger seat. And mum knew. 
she was bouncing up and down on my penis. People were at lights beeping horns because of the chick who was bouncing up and down with the with the with the, with the I pulled the thumbs up out of the back of the catalog so that they knew indeed that she was bouncing on a penis. How'd that come together? Everything came together like that all day. It was just walking at Mission Beach. It was a whore fest. There was like all these people. This is the other thing. Summer party break thing that you get. Spring break? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm here and I'm like, you guys don't have to go to school anymore. And your parents flew you from fucking Texas to spend a weekend in your fucking house on the beach in Mission Beach. Like, who are you spoiled motherfuckers? Bl- just blown away by all these blonde-headed chicks. They called me FF. I was famous. You know, I mean, people knew, FF, FF, fucking foreigner. So that was my name on Mission Beach, and it was just a experimental. People were taking drugs all the time. I remember drinking lots of tequila. I remember seeing uh, my first. Uh, I saw uh, little uh, pink and blue fireflies, but not like hallucinating mm. from acid. Like seeing, like you know, and going fuck and laughing and sweating and drinking and fucking raging and kicking things and people saying, "Hey man, you can't break my house." Sorry, bro. You know what I mean? We'd all laugh and kick some more shit. Just being really disrespectful little kids, but just sleeping with girls everywhere all the time. Just constantly on the beach, boning people, sleeping on the beach, waking up with a mouthful of sand. That was the one thing I remember. I was like, man, this has got to stop. We need to find a place to sleep. Like, just wake up and go, because I'd been so drunk, I'd just been snoring with fucking sand in my mouth. And then the beach crew telling us to get up and get the fuck out of here in the morning. Like, hey, man, get up. And I'm like, okay. But simultaneously feeling like you were improving your skating a lot. Well, you know, I mean, that Mission Beach thing wasn't forever. That was just a spurt. That was what really was one of the greatest. You know, I mean, I disappeared from the Schroders and le- lived a couple of days with this sunny chick that gave me mushrooms for the first time and gave me a crystal. And, you know, we were like girlfriend and boyfriend for like three days and then disappeared. Never saw her again. It Did was, she give you like a mystical powers crystal kind of thing? I probably thought that, yeah. But Do I you think she what, thought that? Fuck yeah. She yeah. was. It was. Hard to believe that her name was Sunny and she was giving me mushrooms. And I remember watching a soccer game in the house with all these other weird people there, and she was just sort of being very comforting. I was uncomfortable around these other people, and she was always sort of like, "Oh," and she would pat me. And, the den mother, yeah. yeah. And then I remember looking at the soccer game, and all of a sudden going, and my neck pulling away like that, and, and then uh, just gone into the fucking spirit world. And then waking up on the bed and the next day, and just going fucking holding her. I remember holding a crystal, and I was looking at it, and all of a sudden I went. I'm like, oh, God. And then going back to Lance's ramp with the crystal, skating with no T-shirt on, with the fucking leather necklace with the crystal tied to it, learning three tricks a day. Like, if, like, just people would say, have you tried this? And I'd be like, no, and just do it. It was the most, that it, the most ability I'd ever felt was the first time. Because things got harder when tricks got harder. You know, just athletically harder. You know what I mean? Like as, you can go and, when you don't know anything, you can go in leaps and bounds. Yeah, like that six months was. You know, I came back for sure the best skateboarder in Australia by far, better than because New Zealanders were still better than us because Gregor had been there and he'd contaminated the waters before he came here. So there was guys before me, Murray or something. I think his name was, was better. But I came back. There wasn't even an argument anymore. But I was still dumb enough to have, like, Gary Valentine and Gregor and those dudes to convince me that I wasn't that good. And they gave it a good go for a long time. Until it was just, Chris Wright was like, man, why take this shit from them? Like, you're fucking a billion times better than all of them, and they hate you because of that. And I was like, really? Like, just in the clouds, happy to be here, guy.
Um, okay, uh, let, let me think. Uh, when you came back from Australia the first time, you just, you, you obviously, you don't think it registered with your family that what you're doing was actually, like, a thing? No. No, and I thought it did. It wasn't until much later on when I dad had moved into another house and I'd come back just to stay there for, I think, about two months or something because now I was officially kind of living there. I came back to stay at a spare room. I remember just having, like, one little poster that I'd put on the door and it was just a single bed. No, it wasn't my room. Lee and Stevie had rooms there. Mine was just, like, the side room thing, you know, which is fine. I didn't really, you know, but... A check came from Bones Brigade, and he was like, what's this? And I was like, it's a fucking check. What the fuck does it look like? And he's like, from skateboarding. I'm like, yeah, dude, from fucking skateboarding. He's like, well, they come all the time. I'm like, every month I get that. All the time. And other shit from other people. And he's like, you should take this shit serious. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? I've been fucking doing this. I did- Who do you think paid for my fucking plane ticket? I didn't ask you anymore. And then he's like, fuck. That's crazy. I'm like, what'd you think I was doing? He's like, I don't know, selling a bit of weed or something. And I remember just going, he's, he's fucking with me right now. This is a joke. And I never even really thought that he was really saying that. Like, until maybe even, like, I, I'm like, he's fucking with me. He knows I was a pro skateboarder. But I, and I, later on, I was like, man, I wonder if he really thought that. How old would you have been then? 24. Right. Like that. 24, 25. 24, 25 is when I started to make some money and, uh, probably my highest level of skateboarding maybe yeah, and then obviously fucking with the highest the level the better I was the more I drank um do you think when you were like like you know 16 17 18 people were like were people like oh you're a crazy guy or people like whoa dude you're out of control um <sighs> like I'm guessing for you it was, it was all I didn't out. think I was yeah but everybody else did mm-hmm. but I never paid attention to them mm-hmm. I wasn't listening to them there's this thing in skateboarding when you get good everybody hates you so I was when I became the Australasian champion, and we didn't have any girls in the skateboard scene, and the only one we had was hot as shit, and I was fucking her, and I was the best skateboarder in the world, and I, I didn't want to. I just remember people were just dicks. It was like this weird thing where nobody, and I embraced it too. I was like, okay, well then, fuck you. I mean, sure. I've always at, at that age. Oh yeah, well then, fuck you. Fuck and you. I'm the best dude, so I'll make your life hell. And I was an incredibly advanced smartass. So not, a, and I was bigger. I no one knew I didn't want to fight, but I wasn't going to let you know that. You know, I'd be like, fuck, I'm bigger than you, and I'm crazy on the ramp. So I don't care if I die. Bullshit. You know, man. And then obviously, when I would drink, and I recall all these times, but I would drink to the point where. I probably did have a death wish. I probably did get into some crazy people's faces. We hope you are enjoying this look back at the making of the New York Times bestseller, I'm Awesome. And don't forget, there is plenty more exciting stuff up our sleeves for the follow-up. Still awesome. Available for pre-order now at jasonellisbook.com. We won't stop. We're like that hip-hop band. When did you start getting really like competitively good skating in America? Um, well, 91 was when I, I remember going to Munster, Germany, and not one single person knowing who I was, and, uh, being in this contest, and slowly but surely becoming, uh, you know, I mean, uh, watching everybody skate, and, you know, Danny Way was obviously the better skateboarder of the new breed, superior to all, and, uh, underneath that, there really wasn't, you know, I mean, there was these Chris Livingstons, and, 
but really, you know, I've, I've, I felt that I, you know, I mean, nobody knew who I was in Australia, and, and I could do backside 540s and tail grab 540s, and the only other person that could do a tail grab 540, as far as I knew, was Tony Hawk. That's the only documented tail grab, fi- tail grab 540 ever done. So I had that, and I was waiting to show everybody in this contest. Turns out that another guy who had long blonde hair who was from Canada, who had the same skateboard trucks as me, very similar vibe entirely, same age, could do backside 540s and tail grab 540s as well. His name is Sluggo, and that's the day me and Sluggo met at a contest where we were both uh, in this. He got, I think he got, he got sixth and I got fifth. And we both, we both did backside 540s and tail grab 540s in our ride. I think we probably beat him at two apiece ever when we did him in a contest with every other fucking trick. I still, I couldn't beat me now then when I was 19. And then I got fifth in the world and I remember leaving. What does that mean? How do you, how, what's the, what's <coughs> the Monster the Cup at the time was the, was the world titles. How did Germany get the world title? Titus, a dude named Titus, was the biggest distributor in Europe of skateboarding, and he held a contest that was just a ginormous fucking thing, and he would have every pro in the world there. Just big as money? Yep. German dude, he had a Lamborghini. He would give, like, the famous guys a ride in his Lambo or whatever. But, How yeah. much money are we talking about for a contest? When I got fifth? I don't even know. Nothing. But like, what do you think the winner got? Five grand. Right. I remember after that, I was on planet Earth. I was living at Chris Miller's, mild mannered. They didn't know who I was or where I came from, and you know, because I would, you know, would go in spurts, and I, I did fifth in the world, and the only people that beat me were icons in skateboarding. I beat Danny, I beat everybody, and everybody knew me from that day on. And that night, I went to a fucking bar, and we were drinking and drinking, and Jeff Kendall and all these legends were there, and uh, I grabbed a beer mug and fucking smashed it over my head. And it was like a little bit of silence, and everyone was like, holy shit, did you just... And, and, and I was like, yeah, and Je- I remember Jeff Kendall going, fuck yeah, and holding the beer mug up in front of me, and I just went, whoosh, and, and punched it, like, boom, and just punched it and shattered everyone, and I was like, oh my god! And I was like, yeah! <gasps> oh! And I have the, see the stitches in my, inside my yeah, finger and sure. in that side of the finger? Uh-huh. I got like 16 stitches through my hands, like to the bone. Like it's just like a bone. There's like blood going beep, beep, beep. And someone's like, oh my God, dude, you've got to go to hospital. And then I remember the taxi wouldn't let me in the taxi and I'd have my hand in a plastic bag in the taxi. And then Randy Jansen, my team manager, took me to the hospital and I was cussing everybody out and talking like a drunk motherfucker. And then I remember the doctor came in, didn't speak English, and he stuck some needles in my finger and I sobered up immediately and that was one of the i was like this is the worst pain i've ever been in when he put the needles in my finger it really woke me up and then i had a sling and i popped my cartilage out of my knee so i had i was limping with a with a sling on and and then we went to Le grand bernard some contest in france where i skated with one arm and uh and then there was a ride in the street i told sluggo was break dancing with french people and he did a helicopter and then some french dude kicked him and then everybody went to beat him up, and then there was this huge riot against the locals and the fucking Americans there. And the mayor came out and said, "You guys, if, if anybody, if you, if you don't go inside your fucking uh, to your hotel rooms, you will be arrested and you'll be put in jail for three days minimum. You won't get out." And we're all leaving the next day or something. And and I remember being like just drunk out of my mind. I remember Craig Johnson in a bar, uh, and his dreadlocks. He had a, he would have it tied up, and the dreadlocks would come out here like big thing like that. And he was playing pool, and the lights on the wall set fire to his dreadlocks more than once. And the third time that it got on fire and he put it out, he fucking grabbed the light out of the wall and ripped it. And the cord 
came out of the 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 port the plaster, and then he just pulled it all the way around the wall out of the plaster, like fucked the place up, and then uh, ran out of there. And people were like stealing drinks, and then there was like uh, then the riot, the riot police came, and they had the blockades and the guard the the big plastic guards and mace bombs and I remember having a t- I saw somebody with a t-shirt over their fucking face so I had to fucking tie the t-shirt over my face could barely walk with a fucking thing on and uh, I remember pulling my dick out and showing the you know because I mean, we were back and they were there like slowly moving in and I walked to front of everybody and did the fucking hey here's my penis and everyone behind me like yeah let's like sticking it to the man and to the police yeah to yeah. the police and then the, and then the bombs the the, the 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 tear gas bombs came and everybody ran for their lives and that's when I a car came by and I couldn't run so I grabbed onto the back of the car and was just skidding on the back of the car holding the bumper just holding on skidding and then I remember. Uh, Lee Ralph, who is now my friend, because I've been officially pro for long enough, and Gregor is no longer here. Lee is allowed to be in Europe. I don't. It was the first time Lee was ever friends with me again. I remember that. And he's like, "Fuck yeah, Alice!" And I remember Mark Gonzalez was standing on the back of the car. So I think there's a photo in a Thrasher magazine of this actual event where I'm just in a white fl- and a blue flannel hanging under the back, but. I remember Lee going, fuck yeah, let's fuck it. I was like, fuck yeah, Lee. And I fucking went to like shake his hand or something with the good hand. And as soon as I took my good hand off, shitty hand just went ding. And I remember going, and my, you know, the scorpion skid, like (laughs) my face. And then I was like, oh, and got up and ran off into a fucking hotel room and got away with it or whatever. I don't know. Uh, So when did you, when, uh, how old were you? First time Tony Hawk ever talked to me, LeGrand Bernard. Same instance? That contest, I remember, because I got fifth in the world. Tony Hawk won. Chris yeah. Miller got second. Cab got third. And Bucksmith got fourth. And the next contest, I had a, a spark in my eye. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm the best competing. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm the fifth best dude in the world. It's not the case, but that's what I'm thinking. So I dropped in, and I remember him on the other side of the deck, because now all of a sudden, if I can get fifth, could I win? Could I beat this man, the god that is on the other side of the deck? And I remember dropping in and doing a backstair and Tony Hawk going, Jason Nelson's going to win the contest. And I remember going, what is, is that mine? Is he fucking with me or does he really mean that? Like, and completely, you know, I had one arm. I didn't even fucking qualify. What do you think he meant when he said it? Was he fucking with you? I don't, no, he wasn't vibing me at all. He was just happy for me that I'd done well and was just trying to give me a pat on the back, I think. He's never, like, he was, there was no need to be intimidated about me. I wasn't, I wasn't coming to get him. Ever. Uh, when did you meet all the Red Dragons guys? Where does that fit into it? The Red Dragon guys is uh, the Vancouver Sa- Slam City Jam contest. It happens every year in Vancouver. Uh, went there for the contest. I was on Element Skateboards. Legitimate fucking pro by then. I invented the varial kickflip Indian shit. I had some shit. I was kind of fresh. I had new moves that some people didn't have. It was the last time I was ever fucking cool. It was before Vert completely died and I had, I had power and... And I was going bigger than everybody, but I had some tech shit that no one had even done yet. I had some heel flipping, need a fakies and some stuff like that. But uh, on the way back, you know, I mean, I've been friends with uh, Sluggo because me and friend- Sluggo was my friend from Europe. So he introduced me. He's the Red Dragon, Moses and, Sl- and Colin. Sluggo was like, this guy's fucking awesome. He's my boy. And we became friends. And then uh, I was staying at Colin's house with Moses living there. And they had, you know, weed every day. And it was the great life there. And... And then uh, I went to go back in customs, and 
my visa was up. My holiday visa was like five and a half months. And they're like, you've got two weeks left on your visa. And what are you here for? What are you doing? And the story didn't match up. And they were like, you know, suspect. And they're like, well, we're going to deport you. You know, we're going to. And I was like, well, I've got money. And they're like, well, where's the money? Prove it. And I'm like, I'll get it right now out of the fucking bank and show you. And they're like, okay, go for it. You got money. You can come back in. Otherwise, I'm sending you back home. So I went back out into the airport, got a taxi, went back downtown, called Moses and said, I'm on the corner of Granville and fucking some other street. And Moses, like, stay there. And I was so stressed and heartbroken, just thinking my whole career is over like a thousand times I thought this. And he came up and he had a doobie and a beer and he was like, here you go, man. He's like, you can fucking stay at our house. Everything will be all right. Stayed there for a week. Then I moved into the clubhouse where the ramp was. They, the Red Dragons gave me their pad room. They had a room just for their pads. They took all their pads out and gave me that room and we just became bros and, I, you know, became an honorary Red Dragon and I took that very serious because I had a lot of respect for them and I think that they, because of that, the respect that I had for them saying that, that, that became more serious that I really was a Red Dragon and you're like, you're the first, just so you know, you're the first dude who isn't from Canada who's a Red Dragon. It's a big deal. I was like, I realize that and I appreciate this. Very serious. It was always very serious. Was there, I mean, how did they break it to you? I mean, was there like a mm. ceremony or something? No, there's no ceremony. It's just fucking, we're going to let you in. Yeah. I mean, I was like, wow, really? Yeah, fuck me, you're on your red dragon. When did you get the tattoo? Uh, I was the first one to get this one. Yeah. Everyone started copying me. They were like, man, that'd be awesome. I think I got that. Randy Jansen gave it to me. Fucking long time ago, man. Fuck. 10 years ago, 20, fuck, 15 years ago fucking long time ago it was like my fifth tattoo or something what's the what's the what's the chronology of your tattoos what did you get well all my animals were just for uh motivational things for me for uh you know i've always loved animals because of my mum and stuff but they were just Wait, like what do you to, mean because your mom huh what do you mean because your mom and stuff my mum was an a crazy animal person but she always used to like people would put like puppies on the front of at the front of the bar because they knew that she wouldn't she would take care of them she was, like, famous for that. She always had, like, fucking tons of dogs and tons of cats. I always slept with, like, fucking eight dogs and 16 cats were in the house. You know what I mean? I just remember always waking up with animals everywhere. Fur everywhere. I mean, she owns a pet mining service still. It's a thing. But, yeah, the animals were, like, you know, the tough, you know, the, the fly like an eagle, the fucking reflexes of a snake, the agility of a cat. Very cheesy shit, but... When did you start getting tattoos? Um... 19 first tattoo I ever got was 19 in Amsterdam after I'd been in that uh that contest in Munster I got Metallicus tatted on the side of my leg by Hanky Panky in Amsterdam got my first hooker that day too first hooker that day yeah. how'd that go down that's uh, a big day huh Randy Jans yeah big day yeah <laughs> called my dad told him he was like oh dude, take it easy you called him after the hooker yeah I didn't I don't think I, I think I did tell him about the hooker but I, I called to tell him about the tattoo but uh yeah, Randy Jansen paid for my prostitute, pushed me in the door with fifty bucks. I was way too—I didn't want—I was way too nervous to be in there. He just pushed me in there, and I had the money in my hand. She took it, and I boned her, and that was it. That was the beginning of my fucking addiction to that. Yeah, well, what a, what of that? <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit on the. You know, when I go back to Australia, that was when it would happen the most. I go back to Australia, people had jobs. I was the only pro skateboarder in Australia. So I was the only person that didn't have to get up in the morning. So when the party ended on Saturday, it didn't end for me. So I spent a lot of time late at night 
You know, I mean, I didn't make a lot of money, but I probably made like fucking five grand a month, and I lived at my fucking parents' house. Yeah, I just late at night, I would drink, go out all night, and I just drank so much that I never was eligible to get laid. I mean, sometimes I was, but 80% of the time, I was at a fucking drink. I would always say, I learned it from Ben, I'm here to drink and not make friends. That was our little quote that we would say, I'm here to drink, not make friends. Fucking idiot. And I would drink and, you know I mean, I would have sex with girls, and then I would leave because I didn't like them, and then I would go get hookers. I would try to get more girls, but if they weren't around... I would go to St. Kilda and get these hookers at 50 bucks and they blew me in the bushes or, you know, it just, it just became so easy that I gave up on trying to, just trying that hard to have a girlfriend or anything. I just had an addiction to late at night. It was just looking for sin. You know what I mean? I just get into this mode. I knew it too. It would be a certain drink where I'd already made my decision and I knew I'd made my decision that. I was now looking for, uh, you know, whatever drugs anybody had and uh, prostitution. Then I would sneak off. We would all party and then I would just be gone. And I'd be on my way to St. Kilda to, to find my, my hookers. Yeah. yeah. We used to call it pulling a Casper. Like Cas- pulling a Casper, yeah. Casper the Friendly Ghost. Right. You didn't yeah. just don't tan it, you just pull a Casper. Yeah. I think gone. there was a time there with Gourlay where he knew that face that I had where I was about to disappear. I think yeah. he knew me enough to be like, come on, man, don't go there, don't go there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Come on, mate, I know, you know, I know where you're going to go. Look, man, I'm just going to fucking go lie down in the car for a little bit. I'll be back, you know? And I'd get in my car, and people were like, don't fucking drink it. You're hammered, dude. And I would drive off and go get hookers. Yeah. All night. I remember that was when I became a heavy drinker. Like, I drank and I partied like everybody else in Australia, but that's when I remember building a tolerance that... Uh, did not go. I paid the price for the, for building that tolerance through that time. I remember drinking myself to sleep. I remember waking up with a bottle of vodka in my hand that I hadn't finished, and I passed up sit, sitting up against the wall. I just started drinking it. I remember the pain of swallowing it, thinking this is the worst thing ever, and just being so angry and so depressed. And I just kept drinking it, and then the the tolerance became higher, and then I could just do it i could just consume it at any time and it was always this anger when i would drink not towards anybody else towards myself i remember the pain of drinking i mean it's swallowing it and going and make and that would make me angrier to drink more it was like the fuel i would be very bitter and drink by myself a lot i spent a lot of time by myself i would just drink by myself in alleyways and parks i would buy beer and just go to a park and just sit there and envision a better life here australia or both australia mainly what do you mean envision a better life envision me being a fucking the greatest skateboarder ever being rich having cars having people love me if i was the if i was like a success you know if i was big time and i had a range rover and you know i could buy things and go to restaurants and get fancy hotels jasonellisbook.com jasonellisbook.com that is it for this week's look back at the making of the New York Times bestselling I'm Awesome. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to order the follow-up, Still Awesome, at jasonellisbook.com. Thank you. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that. Plenty more where that came from. Don't leave us, because there's plenty more high and dry podcasts to come. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.